Hello and welcome to Gin and Spooks. I'm Emma. And I'm Laura. And what are we talking about today, Laura? Cryptids, again. Cryptids part two. Um, what are you drinking today? I was I was going to get myself some iron brew so I could drink iron brew and gin. Um, but I just haven't had time, so I've got water. Now, I don't know if iron brew and gin would even go, but I thought this is a good drink to try that's kind of on theme, but no, nah, just water. Nice. Got to hydrate yourself. Yeah, man. I'm drinking Pepsi Max Cherry <laughs> on its God own. God tier. So top tier <laughs> drink. Yeah. Uh, I might have a drink when I have food. Mm-hmm. You want to start with your monster cryptid? Yes. Um, as you might have guessed from my idea about drinking Iron Brew, um, I'm doing the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> now, um, I tried not to go as deep into it as I did with Bigfoot because I know that went on for a while. However, I've got exact same amount of pages as I did with Bigfoot. So nice. I'll try and keep it short and sweet, though. Um, but I'm going to start off by saying I don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster as much as I believe in Bigfoot, but I'm not ruling her out completely. The Loch Ness Monster, affectionately known as Nessie, is a creature in Scottish folklore that is said to inhabit Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands. It's often described as large, long-necked, and with one or more humps protruding from the water. I'd love to go visit Loch Ness, you know. I've never been. No, neither have I. I'd love to go. Shall we go? Mm. (laughs) Go on. Yeah, we'll drive all the way up through... All the way up England and Scotland, stopping off at like spooky haunted places on the way up and then drive back down. If anyone wants to set up a GoFundMe so that we can quit our jobs to do that, please go ahead. <laughs> also, I've realised since doing this podcast, you laugh so quietly. So sometimes I say something and there's just silence and then a little, <laughs> like, <laughs> the tiniest bit of laughter. <laughs> I know, yeah, sometimes I laugh like really loud and then sometimes I'm like, <laughs> like in the background, <laughs> you can't hear anything. It's like tumbleweed. It's yep. just gone through. I'm like, wow. Okay. Anyway, reports of a monster inhabiting Loch Ness date back to ancient times. Notably, local stone carvings by an ancient people called the Pict show a mysterious beast with flippers. The first written account of the Loch Ness Monster appears in a biography of St. Columba from 565 AD. St. Columba was an Irish mission... St. Columba was an Irish missionary. Why can't I say those two words next to each other? St. Columba was an Irish missionary sent to Scotland to convert the people to Christianity. According to his biography, St. Columba was staying in the land of the Picts with his companions when he encountered local residents burying a man by the River Ness. They explained that the man had been swimming in the river when he was attacked by a water beast that mauled him and dragged him underwater, despite their attempts to rescue him. Columba sent one of his followers to swim across the river. The beast approached him, but Columba made the sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. The creature stopped as if it had been pulled back with ropes and fled, supposedly due to Columba's divine power. However, it is thought that this story is a fabrication created to help make the villagers believe in the power of St. Columba and his message of Christianity. So basically, they this story is 
really old, but they also think it's just one of those ones where they're like, Christianity is better. Look, we can banish the beasts. <laughs> Christianity rules. <laughs> that TikTok you posted the other day of those oh. nuns was so oh great. Why do I keep finding that stuff? I found the cha-cha slide one as well. Oh, I love it though. Praise the Lord. And I'm like, why do I keep finding this like Christian shit on my on my Instagram? It's trying to tell you something. I need to go back to church. Yeah. Make room for Jesus. <laughs> so in eighteen eighty eight, a guy called Alexander MacDonald sighted a large stubby-legged animal surfacing from the lock and propelling itself within 50 yards of the shore where he stood. MacDonald reporting his sighting to the Loch Ness water bailiff, Alex Campbell, and described the creature as looking like a salamander. A salamander. It's a newt. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? Have you never... That's from the Matilda film. Like, the original. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they find the... What? I was just thinking of an axolotl. Oh, they're so cute. Well, we used to have one in our science class um, in secondary school called Rosie. She's just like the cutest thing ever. She Rosie. Rosie the axolotl. <gasps> That's yeah. so cute. I want one, but we've realised water creatures are too difficult to clean out. Yeah, I know. So, so just the cats. So Eamon all of a sudden wants a turtle. No, a tortoise. Like one of those ones that grows huge and would outlive both of us. For fuck's sake, of course he does. Yeah. He just wants to like have animals that inconvenience him, him and you. Yeah. He says, oh, I can build a, tur- a tortoise flap so it can go out and it's tortoise run in the garden. How would it even, how would it even, like it would take like 500 years for it to leave the house. Yeah. How slow like, Anyway. Can you imagine walking the streets of my town with a giant tortoise? I'm just taking taking him out for a walk. Come on, Bob. I don't know why his name's Bob, but it's now I, Bob. I, so I asked Eamon what we'd call it, and he said either Eric or Barbara. I was like, you know what? I'm on board with both of those names. Come on, Eric. Come on, Barbara. That you already knew either yeah. Eric or Barbara. Come on, yeah. Bob. Come, Bob. Come on, Bob. Uh, anyway. Uh, in 1933, the Loch Ness Monster's legend began to grow. At the time, a road adjacent to Loch Ness had just been finished, which offered an unobstructed view of the lake. In April of that year, Aldi McKay and her husband John were driving along this road when she spotted a creature in the water. She said it was enormous, with the body of a whale rolling around in the water of the loch as they drove by. An article on her sighting was published in the Inverness Courier, in May of that year. So this is where people start to like actually tell people that they've seen it and it's reported in newspapers. Uh, In July of the same year, George Spicer and his wife were driving across the same road when what they described as a most extraordinary form of animal crossed the road in front of the car. They said it had a large body with a long, wavy, narrow neck, slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk and as long as the width of the road. However, they saw no limbs. So like... Basically, they're saying it had no legs. Okay. It lurched across the road into the lock, leaving a trail of broken undergrowth in its wake. They compared it to a dragon or a prehistoric monster. This sighting was reported in the paper and it triggered a massive increase in public interest and sightings of the monster. 
and it led to the name of the Loch Ness Monster. Um, a guy called Hugh Gray took a photograph of the loch in November 1933, and this was supposedly the first photograph alleged to depict the monster. It's slightly blurry, and it has been noted that if you look closely, the head of a dog can be seen. Gray had taken his Labrador for a walk that day, and it's suspected that the photograph actually just depicts his do- his do- dog, his dog fetching a stick from the loch. Others have suggested that the photograph shows an otter or a swan. The original negative was lost, so you, they can't like keep analysing it. Um, yeah, I'll put all of these photos on the Instagram as well because I talk about a couple of photos. But basically, this photo just looks like a grey smudge. You can't even tell that it's something in water. I don't know where people say that they can see a dog's head or an otter. Um, anyway... In December 1933, the Daily Mail commissioned a guy called Marmaduke Weatherall, who was a a, name. I know. You can tell he wears like a three-piece tweed suit, can't you? Like, it's such a pompous name. Yeah. Um, Anyway, he was a big game hunter, so obviously a twat. Um, So the Daily Mail sent him to locate the sea serpent, Along the lake's shores, he found large footprints that he believed belonged to a very powerful and soft-footed animal about 20 feet long. However, on closer inspection, zoologists at the Natural History Museum determined that the tracks were identical to the tracks of a hippo. Um, anyway, long story short, Marmaduke had this, either it was either an umbrella stand or an ashtray that was made from the mould of a hippo's foot. So he had just used that to make these footprints in the mud and then made plaster casts of him. Um, Apparently he was publicly ridiculed by the Daily Mail for his involvement in the hoax. In January 1934, a motorcyclist, Arthur Grant, claimed to have nearly hit the creature whilst approaching the the northeastern end of the lock at about 1am on a moonlit night. According to Grant, it had a small head attached to a really long neck The creature saw him and crossed the road back to the lock. Grant, a veterinary student, described it as a cross between a seal and a plesiosaur. Plesiosaur? Plesiosaur. He said he dismounted and followed it to the lock, but saw only ripples from where it got back into the water. He produced a sketch of the creature that was examined by zoologist Maurice Burton, who stated it was consistent with the appearance and behaviour of an otter. Regarding the long size of the creature reported by Grant, it's been suggested that this was a faulty observation due to the poor light conditions. Paleontologist Darren Nash has suggested that Grant may have seen either an otter or a seal and exaggerated his sighting over time. Uh, Another photograph, called the surgeon's photograph, is reportedly the first photo of the creature's actual head and neck, and it was published in the Daily Mail in April 1934. It shows a small head in a back and a second image captured at the same time shows a similar head in a diving position. However, this image is really blurry, so it didn't attract as much publicity. For 60 years, the photo was considered evidence of the monster's existence, although sceptics dismissed it as driftwood, an elephant, an otter or a bird. The photo scale was controversial because they often show it really, really cropped. But if you show the full photo, you can see that actually it's not as big as it looks when it's been cropped. Yeah. Even actually, I think the cropped version, it looks tiny. It doesn't look like a huge creature. It looks like, I don't know, a stick. Anyway, since 1994, this photo has been considered a hoax. The creature was supposedly a toy submarine with a clay head and neck attached to the top. 
built by Marmaduke's son-in-law. It's thought that they did it to get revenge on the Daily Mail for ridiculing him for the footprint shenanigans. So in December 1954, sonar readings were taken by the fishing boat Rival 3. Its crew noted a large object keeping pace with the vessel at a depth of 146 metres. It was detected for 800 metres before contact was lost and regained. So all these photos and stuff so far, it's always it's all eyewitness accounts that obviously they don't really have any proof. A lot of the photos have been um, just... Uh, well, the footprints were a hoax. The photos have been proven to basically not be true or like that's just a fucking dog or an otter or a toy. Um, but actually, this bit gave me chills a little bit because they're like actually finding sonar readings of these this huge thing um, that's following the boat that's really deep, swimming really deeply, following their boats. That's creepy. So... Uh, there have been various professional search attempts over the years where groups of people have used tech such as sonar and underwater cameras to comb the lake for any signs of the Loch Ness Monster. There's a dude called Robert Rines who has basically been searching for the Loch Ness Monster since 1972. So he's done a lot. So I just picked out some really cool bits or the most interesting bits that are not just like numbers and shit. So uh sonar readings taken by robert ryan's group identified a moving target estimated by echo strength at six to nine meters in length in line with the so these sonar readings the underwater floodlit camera obtained a pair of underwater photographs both depicted what appeared to be a rhomboid shaped flipper although skeptics have dismissed the images as depicting the bottom of the lock air bubbles a rock or a fish fin the apparent flipper was photographed in different positions, indicating movement. So not only has their sonar picked up a huge creature, they've actually got like photos of flippers. Uh, later on, another sonar contact was made, this time with two objects as estimated to be about nine metres long. The strobe camera photographed two large objects surrounded by a flurry of bubbles. Some interpreted the objects as two plesiosaur-like animals, suggesting several large animals living in Loch Ness. This photograph has rarely been published. A second search was conducted by Ryans in 1975. Some of the photographs, despite their obviously murky quality and lack of concurrent sonar readings, did indeed seem to show unknown animals in various positions and lightings. One photograph appeared to show the head, neck and upper torso of a plesiosaur-like animal, but sceptics again argue that the object is just like a log due to the lump on its chest area, the massive sediment in the full photo and the object's log-like skin texture. Uh, another photograph seemed to depict a horned gargoyle head, consistent with that of some sightings of the monster. However, sceptics point out that a tree stump that was later filmed during Operation Deep Scan in 1987 bore a striking resemblance to the gargoyle head. So basically, they're actually getting these photos where it's like, what the fuck is this? And sceptics are like, nah, mate, that's a log. <laughs> <laughs> Let people believe in things. I know, yeah. Don't let your dreams just be dreams. <laughs> hey now. Hey now. This is what this dreams is what... are made Um... Okay, in 2001, Ryan's Academy of Applied Science videotaped a V-shaped wake traversing still water on a calm day. 
The Academy also videotaped an object on the floor of the lock resembling a carcass and found marine clamshells and a fungus-like organism not normally found in freshwater locks, a suggested connection to the sea and possible entry for the creature. In 2008, Rhines theorised that the creature may have become extinct, citing the lack of significant sonar readings and a decline in eyewitness accounts. He took he undertook a final expedition using sonar and an underwater camera in an attempt to find a carcass. However, he believed that the animals may have failed to adapt to temperature changes resulting from global global warning warming. So basically this dude thinks that global warming killed the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> wow. I wasn't expecting it to get that deep. No. I don't know if that's funny or sad. Kind of both. both. No. Okay, so Operation Deep Scan. Uh... Scan. <laughs> Goodness sake. I'm ready. In 1987, Operation Deep Scan was conducted. 24 boats equipped with echo sounding equipment were deployed across the width of the lock and simultaneously sent acoustic waves out. According to BBC News, the scientists had made sonar contact with an unidentified object of unusual size and strength. The researchers returned, rescanning the area. Analysis of the echo sounder images seemed to, seemed to indicate debris at the bottom of the lock, although there was motion in three of the pictures. Adrian Shine speculated, based on size, that they might be seals that had entered the lock. Sonar expert Daryl Lawrence, founder of the Lawrence Electronics, donated a number of echo sounder units using the operation. After examining... A sonar return indicating a large moving object at a depth of 180 metres. Lawrence said, there's something here that we don't understand. There's something here that's larger than a fish. Maybe some species that hasn't been detected before. I don't know. So there could be another undiscovered species here. So we've got Bigfoot in the forest of North America and then Nessie in the Loch Ness. And you know how much I love DNA when it came to Bigfoot. I've got, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little bit of DNA here. Oh my god, okay, I'm ready for it. So, an international team consisting of researchers from the universities of Otago, Copenhagen, Hull and the Highlands and Islands did a DNA survey of the lake in June 2018 looking for unusual species. The results were published in 2019. No DNA of large fish such as sharks, sturgeons and catfish could be found. No otter or seal DNA were obtained either, though there was a lot of eel DNA. The leader of the study said he could not rule out the possibility of eels of extreme size, though none were found nor were ever caught. The other possibility is that the large amount of eel DNA simply comes from many small eels. No evidence of any reptilian sequences were found, he added, so I think we can be fairly sure that there is probably not a giant scaly reptile swimming around in Loch Ness, he said. Basically, there seems to just be a shit ton of eels in Loch Ness. So what people are seeing is either a huge eel or just lots of little eels, like, making a big one. <laughs> making a big one. <laughs> so um, I've now got some theories and explanations on what the Loch Ness Monster actually is. Um, so people report wakes, as in, you know, when a boat goes through the water and it breaks it, either the water either side, you get those little waves type yeah. things. So wakes have been reported when the lock is calm with no boats nearby. Uh, bartender David Munro reported a wake he believed was a creature zigzagging, diving and reappearing. There were reportedly 26 other witnesses from nearby car park. 
though some sightings describe a v-shape wake similar to a boat others report something not conforming to the shape of a boat why is that an explanation basically i think people are just seeing these ripples in the lake and going oh it's a loch ness monster when it's just fucking maybe maybe a seal maybe some fish like whatever it could just be anything another explanation is just trees i've not written anything under the title trees i've just put trees but basically it could just be trees like they fall in they start to decompose so they're moving because the gas bubbles are moving them and they're just huge so that's why it looks like a huge creature and i bet i bet if like a boat moves past a tree in that's in the lock that could maybe move the tree which would then cause them to think that there's a creature moving there and like yeah basically trees just trees um the the eel theory that i kind of mentioned a large eel was an early suggestion for what the monster was eels are found in loch ness and an unusually large one would explain many sightings um though apparently people have dismissed this theory because eels like swim from side to side like snakes do whereas the sightings of the loch ness monster have described it as kind of more of a smooth movement rather than a snaky movement but there are like i said so many dna samples of eels um oh yeah some people did a a report actually and confirmed that european european eels are still found in the loch no dna samples were found for large catfish and large animals such as catfish sharks or plesiosaurs um so yeah many scientists now believe that giant eels account for many if not most of the sightings um so sharks (laughs) there's a theory about the greenland shark so zoologist, angler and television presenter Jeremy Wade investigated the creature in 2013 as part of the series River Monsters, which I've not watched yet, but I think I will. Um, basically, he concluded that this is a Greenland shark. The Greenland shark, which can reach up to 20 feet in length, inhabits the North Atlantic Ocean around Canada and Greenland, Iceland, Norway and possibly Scotland. It's dark in colour with a small dorsal fin, according to biologist Bruce White. Bruce Wright, the Greenland shark could survive in fresh water, possibly using rivers and lakes to find food. Um, Loch Ness has an abundance of salmon and other fish, so they think it could just be a lost shark. But I don't think sharks live from like 1933 to now. So who knows? Um, it could just be any other animal, to be fair. Because no one's at, it's really hard to judge the size of whatever people are seeing. So it could just be like a, an otter or a deer having a swim. Or even birds. Because if you have a bird sitting on the water, that could be mistaken for like a little, not less monster head. My favourite theory is an elephant. Then it's an elephant. So. An elephant. Yeah. So in a 1979 article, California biologist Dennis Power and geographer Donald Johnson claimed that the surgeon's photograph was the top of a he- was the top of the head and the extended trunk and flared nostrils of a swimming elephant photographed elsewhere and claimed to be from Loch Ness. In two thousand six, is this elephant? What did you Why? say? How giant is this elephant? Why to make it think <laughs> yeah. like this monster? I know, man. Um. In 2006, paleontologist and artist Neil Clark suggested that travelling circuses might have allowed elephants to swim in the lake, the lock, 
Um, so the trunk could be perceived to be the head and neck with the head and the back to perceived humps. So basically all the travelling circuses probably just let their um, elephants swim in the lake and that's where people got the idea from. But yeah, basically people also think it could be a plesiosaur, which is a dinosaur. Um, it's a long-necked aquatic reptile that became extinct during the crustaceous pelagene extinction event. Although some arguments have been made against it. Someone said that the neck of the Loch Ness monster doesn't match that of a plesiosaur. The Loch is only about 10,000 years old, old, dating to the end of the last ice age. Before then, it was frozen for about 20,000 years. So if it was this dinosaur, it would have just been frozen for a long-ass time. If creatures similar to plesiosaurs lived in Loch Ness, they would be seen frequently since they would have to surface several times a day to breathe. So it's definitely not a dinosaur. And then... There's a little folklore theory here. In 1980, Swedish naturalist and author Bent Schrogen wrote that present beliefs in lake monsters such as the Loch Ness Monster are associated with Kelpie legends. According to this dude, accounts of Loch Monsters have changed over time, originally describing horse-like creatures. They were intended to keep children away from the loch. He wrote that the Kelpie legends have developed into descriptions reflecting a modern awareness awareness of plesiosaurs. The Kelpie was a water horse in Loch Ness, was mentioned in an 1879 Scottish newspaper and inspired Tim Dinsdale's Project Waterhorse, a study of pre-1933 Highland folklore references to Kelpies, waterhorses and water bulls indicated that, the Ness, that Ness was the loch most frequently sighted. So basically, it's... The people think it's just a mythical creature made up to keep kids away from the open water, which makes sense. Um, there's a new, there's a feature on Google Street View where, um, so Google spent a week at Loch Ness collecting imagery with a Street View tracker camera, attached it to a boat to photograph above the surface um, and underwater. And basically you can go on and explore the loch like underwater to look for Nessie. Yeah, that's pretty. I've, cool. I've not given a go yet, but I really want to. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So I don't think I believe in the Loch Ness monster. Yeah, I think I think I'm more inclined to believe that Bigfoot's real than yeah. than a Loch Ness. But even then, that's still a stretch for me. No, no, Bigfoot's real. You know it it's in your heart. I still haven't watched Expedition Bigfoot yet, so when I get home over the weekend, I'm going to be watching it. Yeah, I expect, I expect comment like when you're watching it, feel free to message me your thoughts. Coming through, <laughs> like, oh my god, leave <laughs> it now. Yeah. Right. So there's Ness. There's a story of Nessie. I mean, I want to believe that Loch Ness monster is real, but I really just think it's logs and seals and otters. <laughs> there's so many seals like what's going on no or it could be the ghost of a dinosaur that's another theory what that's yep. ridiculous i know i the like ghost it though of okay are you ready yes go so i'm doing wendigo have you heard of that before only because i think they featured in an episode of supernatural i don't know if i've watched that one Probably. One of the uh, earlier ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I so, can't remember the episode at all, but I just know. <laughs> I just remember the, you know, them spoofs that do the Ghostbuster thing. 
I remember yes. that episode. So that's quite funny. Yes. So Wendigo is a mythological creature or evil spirit originating from the folklore of Plains and Great Lakes natives, as well as some First Nations. It is based in and around the East Coast forests of Canada, the Great Plains region of the United States and the Great Lakes region of the US and Canada, grouped in modern ethnology as speakers of Algonquian family languages. The Wendigo is often said to be a malevolent spirit, sometimes depicted as a creature with human-like characteristics, which possesses, possesses human beings. The Wendigo is said to invoke feelings of insatiable greed slash hunger, the desire to cannibalise other humans, and the propensity to commit murder in those that fall under its influence. Why do I keep picking things that are just like, yeah, this is a cannibal, or they're like cannibalising Yeah, people? you are too. Pick some scary things. <laughs> Here so, I am with like uh, the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot, and you're like a cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. In some representations, the Wendigo is described as a giant humanoid with a heart of ice, a foul stench, or sudden unseizable chill, which might precede its approach, possibly because of long time identification by European Americans with their own myths about werewolves. For example, as mentioned in the Jesuits relations below, Hollywood film representations often label human slash beast hybrids featuring antlers or horns with the, in quotes, Wendigo name. But such animal features do not appear in the original indigenous stories. In modern psychiatry, the Wendigo lends its name to a form of psychosis known as Wendigo psychosis, which is characterised by symptoms such as an intense craving for human flesh and intense fear of becoming a cannibal. Imagine having an intense fear of becoming a cannibal. Uh, Wendigo psychosis is described as a culture-bound syndrome. So what that means is in medicine and medical anthropology, a culture-bound syndrome or culture-specific syndrome, or folk illness, is a combination of psychiatric and somatic symptoms that are considered to be a recognisable disease only within a specific society or culture. There are no objective biochemical or structural alterations of body organs or functions, and the disease is not recognised in other cultures. So it just originates there, but no one else picks it up. It's like a psychosis among that culture. That's really interesting. So obviously, like, if the Wendigo is, like, a huge part of one specific person's culture, and then someone will get a psychosis psychosis based on that creature. Yeah. That's mega interesting. So there are some parallels with other uh, spirits or monsters. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this, so I'm going to try the Wechuge. Don't know. A similar being that appears in the legends of the Athabascan people of the northwest Pacific coast. It too is cannibalistic, however, it is characterized as enlightened with ancestral insights. So that's Wachuge, probably not pronouncing that at all, is a man eating creature or evil spirit appearing in the legends of the Athabascan people in, be- in, in beaver mythology. It is said to be a person who has been possessed or overwhelmed by the power of one of the ancient giant spirit animals related to becoming, in quote, too strong. These giant animals were crafty, intelligent, powerful, and somehow retained their power despite being transformed into the normal sized animals of the present day. 
So in folklore, the Wendigo is part of the traditional belief system of a number of Algonquin-speaking peoples. Although descriptions can vary somewhat, common to all these cultures is the view that the Wendigo is a malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being. They were strongly associated with winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. Basil H. Johnston, what a name, <laughs> uh, is a scholar from Ontario and gives a description of a Wendigo. He says, the Wendigo was gone to the point of emaciation, its des desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash grey of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave what lips it had were tattered and bloody unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh the wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption oh, i've kind of got chills like it sounds there horrible what a way to describe that um, i used some big words in that as well like come on i, know, I was just like attention <laughs> and Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, West Main Swampy Cree, Naskapi, and Inu law, Wendigos are often described as giants that are many times larger than human beings, a characteristic absent from myths in other Algonquian cultures. Whenever a Wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten, so it could never be full. Therefore, Wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation. The Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed and excess. Never satisfied after killing and consuming one person, they are constantly searching for new victims. A Wendigo need not lose the human's powers of cognition or speech, and in some depictions may clearly communicate with its pr prospective victims or even threaten or taunt them. So, have you ever heard of a horror game called Until Dawn? Yes. Or, yes, so that is based on a Wendigo. And uh, the Wendigo is, it used to be, um, when it was human, it used to be one of the friends out of the group. Um, yeah. But then she ended up going down a cliff and getting trapped there and ended up turning into a Wendigo. Mm -hmm. um, but it can mimic other people's voices. So yeah. there's one where you're playing as the character Ashley and you can hear another character's voice, like saying, help me, help me. And it was mimicking that voice to like, get the other to get victims that sounds horrific um so a specimen a folk story collected in the early 20th century by lottie chicago marston what a name <laughs> an ethnographer ethnographer of the first nation in which a wendigo also exhibits tall use and ability to survive partial dismemberment and auto cannibalism Oh. So she said, I know it's gross. I was like, what the fuck have I just picked here? So she says, one time long ago, a big Wendigo stole an Indian boy, but the boy was too thin, so the Wendigo didn't eat him up right away. But he travelled with the Indian boy, waiting for him till he got fat. The Wendigo had a knife and he cut the boy in the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat, but the boy didn't get fat. He travelled too much. One day they came to an Indian village and the Wendigo sent the boy to the village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to go there and back. The boy told the Indians that the Wendigo was near them and showed him his hand where they, the, the Wendigo had cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling the boy. He said to the boy, hurry up, don't tell lies to those Indians. 
all of these Indians went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. He went oh. back again to see if he was dead. He wasn't dead. He was eating the juice, so the marrow, from the inside of the bones of his legs that were cut oh. off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on them. He said, yeah. You, he said, you bet there is. I have eaten lots of Indians. No wonder they are fat. The Indians then killed him and cut him to pieces, the end, which was the end of this giant Wendigo. Oh, so they chopped his legs off and he was like, hmm, snack. We'll snack his <laughs> neck. I'm a free course meal, bitch. <laughs> um, human cannibalism. So in some traditions, humans overpowered by greed could turn into Wendigos. The myth thus served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation. Other sources say Wendigos were created when a human resorted to cannibal- cannibalism to survive. Humans could also turn into Wendigos by being in contact with them for too long. And then in the psychosis, so in historical accounts of retroactively diagnosed Wendigo psychosis, it's been reported that humans become possessed by the Wendigo spirit after being in a situation of needing food and having no other choice besides cannibalism. Um, so in the in 1661, the Hazuit relations reported what caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by a conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a mourning canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. Although in many recorded cases of Wendigo psychosis, the individual has been killed to prevent cannibalism from resulting. Some Cree folklore recommends treatment by ingestion of fatty animal meats or drinking animal grease. Those treated may sometimes vomit ice as part of the curing process. Did you say vomit ice? Yeah, that's what it says here. How how do you make someone vomit ice? I don't even know. It's some shit. Um, one of the more famous cases of Wendigo psychosis reported involved a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swift Runner. During the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family were starving and his eldest son died. 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at Hudson's Bay Company Post, Swift Runner butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children. Wait, wait. Why would why would you not just eat the dead one? I don't. It depends how he died. If he died from disease, it probably wouldn't. It wouldn't be a yeah, good idea. I suppose. But I think I think he's. To be fair, though, just going back, I think his son just died because he was starving. Oh, so maybe there wasn't much meat on. So, given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to food supplies and that he killed and consumed the remains of all those who were present, it was revealed that Swift Runners was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort to avoid starvation, but rather a man with Wendigo psychosis. 
he eventually confessed and was executed by authorities Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Yeah. Another well-known case involving Wendigo psychosis was that of Jack Fiddler, the name. Hmm. <laughs> what These names are crazy, man. Um, an OG Cree chief, a medicine man known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. In some cases, this entailed killing people with Wendigo psychosis. As a result, in 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for homicide. Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving the news of this pardon. Um, fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western ethnographers. Why can't I say that word? <laughs> Psychologists and anthropologists led to a hotly debated controversy in the 1980s over the histor- historicity of this phenomenon. Some researchers argued that essentially Wendigo psychosis was a fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories related to them at face value without observation. Others have pointed to a number of credible eyewitnesses accounts, both by Algonquians and others, as evidence that Wendigo psychosis was a factual historical phenomenon. So in addition to denoting a cannibalistic monster from certain traditional folklore, some Native Americans also understand the Wendigo conceptually. As a concept, the Wendigo can apply to any person, idea or movement infected by a corrosive drive towards self-angredizing greed and excessive consumption traits that sow disharmony and destruction if left unchecked. So a scholar called Brady DeSanti asserts that the Wendigo in quotes can be understood as a marker indicating a person imbalanced both internally and toward the larger community of human and spiritual beings around them out of equilibrium and estranged by their communities. Individuals thought to be afflicted by the Wendigo spirit unravel and destroy the ecological balance around them. In addition to characterizing individual people who exhibit destructive tendencies, the Wendigo can also describe movements and events with similar, similarly negative effects. According to Professor Chris Shedler, the figure of the Wendigo represents consuming forms of exclusion and assimilation through which groups dominate other groups. This application allows Native Americans to describe con- colonialism and its agents as Wendigo since the process of colonialism ejected natives from their land and threw the natural world out of balance. DeSanti points to the 1999 horror film Ravenous as an illustration of this argument equating the cannibal monster to American colonialism and manifest destiny. This movie features a character who articulates that expansion brings displacement and destruction as side effects, explaining that manifest destiny and Western expansion will bring thousands of gold-hungry Americans over the mountains in search of new lives. This country is seeking to be whole, stretching out its arms and consuming all it can, and we merely follow. And that is pretty much all of it on the Wendigo. There's so many books in there. Was like, oh, what? It sounds horrific. I'd rather believe in the Loch Ness monster than the Wendigo. I'm not going to lie because that sounds horrific. I know, yeah. Like, oh, I've just chopped my, my legs have been chopped off. I'm just going to mm. suck the marrow out of them. So I'd heard of the a when the theory where a Wendigo is like someone that resorts to cannibalism and then turns into a Wendigo. I'd heard of that, th- not theory, like. 
myth, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, it's like when they've been starving for like days and days and days, and then like because they're like vulnerable, like the Wendigo spirit would then inhabit them and possess yeah. them, and then start eating people and doing crazy ass shit, and then yeah. start like spinning. Like quite similar to like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, basically. Yeah, <laughs> Gollum is a Wendigo. Yeah, it's just a tiny one. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the same question that we did for Mothman and Bigfoot. Would you rather meet a Wendigo or the Loch Ness monster? Definitely the Loch Ness monster. I am not meeting some cannibalistic creature at all. Not yeah. a chance. Same. My answer is the same. I like my. I treasure my safety. <laughs> I would rather... I love how, like, you always do, like, the really nice ones, and then I'm like, death, destruction, cannibals, blood, the fucking time. It's just about balance. Life is about balance, and we balance each other out well. Very true. (laughs) Cool. What's today's lesson? Um, Don't eat humans. Yeah. Maybe. If you're starving, just walk down to your Tesco Extra and get a meal deal. Not you yes. when you're free. <laughs> Don't kill your wife. Get a Tesco meal deal. Yeah. It's like Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> you won't like me when I'm hungry. <laughs> so, should we finish off now? Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please head to our Instagram, which is at Gin and Spooks. And our blog, which is ginandspooks.wordpress.com for any photos um, and links and YouTube videos about stuff that we've talked about today. For any drink suggestions or you've got ghost ghost stories of your own. Fuck me, I couldn't say that. If you've got ghost stories of your own, just send them over through email to ginandspooks at gmail.com or you can drop us a DM on Instagram. We have Facebook and TikTok and twitter but if you go to our instagram there's links to all of those yes on there um yeah thanks for listening stay safe and spooky (laughs) hey hey bye